Dave. Josh. I think we're clipping. Hang on. Oh, nope. Um, I think that's good. That looks good. Dave, what's up? Not much. How long you have that surface for? About a year. It's nice. A year and a half. Yeah. It still does the job. I've carried it with me to Germany. Brought it to Germany with me. Oh, do good. Some photo shit. Yeah. Because I was, I tried using the iPad for like post processing and moving photos around. It doesn't work. So in order to do that, I was like, man, I need to find a way where I can transfer my files without using like, and I I need something that's portable that will at least transfer my files. I don't necessarily care about photo editing or whatever, mm. but the Surface can transfer all my files in a very small, compact way. And, so like uh, digital, like storage, basically, you're using yeah. it for storage. Yeah. yeah well, ba- you know, basically the little USB C thing we have right here, and then it goes into my uh, solid state drive. So, yeah. But, Mr. Dave, what Mr. Are we Josh. guess what we're talking about today? Space aliens. Space and fucking aliens, man. All the so all the above. Yeah, all of the above. So for everybody that didn't know what happened last time, is we actually were we did a podcast that was an hour and a half long, and as we were talking, the only time that this has ever happened when i was recording is my entire system shut down and we were going hard man we were going fucking hard into the I alien know, I, there's no recreating that no, honestly i don't that's know? why i'm like that's why i'm kind of like not hard pressed but i'm like man i don't know how the hell we're going to that was funny mimic though. mimic that, that right that in episode. the right in the meat of it too Dude, right yeah oh. we were going fucking hard man but um to kind of kick things off where we were last time is to kind of summarize. I don't know if anybody's ever listened to the podcast between uh, Joe Rogan and Bob Lazar. And Dave, I don't know if you want to give the juicy details about who Bob Lazar is. Man, it's been a while yeah. since I've listened to mm-hmm. it, yeah. you know, or even done much research on mm-hmm. it. Right. Um, so you'll have to fill in some blanks here too. Mm-hmm. Right. But Bob Lazar, sure, he, uh, Worked for essentially Area 51. What was it called? C4 or S4? S4? Yeah. So there was the area south. If you look at Google Maps, because now you can actually see images of Area 51. You just go on Google and you type in Homie Airport. um, I've done that. Yeah. Or Papoose Lake. Yeah. And it'll actually show you where the location of these facilities are. You know, but he worked at a place called S4, which was down in... um, it was like an outskirt of yeah. Area 51, the, the, essentially. The, the thing is, is that in the military, we have a thing called S4. Mm-hmm. We have a thing called S1, S2. S1 is intelligence. S2 is, or excuse me, S1 is administrative. S2 is intelligence. S3 is operations. And S4 is like kind of, they work with supply and logistics. So that's why when he said that he worked at S4, I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. Because like any person in the military would be like, well, that does kind of rings a red flag, logistics and supply, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So it's like, hmm, I don't know if that had anything to do with, you know, where he was exactly working, but that was, um, that was something that raised a yeah. flag for me. But So essentially comes out after working there and says that he's been working on alien craft basically essentially mm-hmm. right i yeah. mean more or less and he said that there was more than one but he only really worked on one and his um 
goal was to find out what the propulsion method was for the mm-hmm. spacecraft. Yep. So the thing about his story is that he's been telling the same consistent story for about 30, 30 oh, years. He came yeah. out in 1989. Right. And the interesting part about kind of backpedaling a little bit is that he worked at Los Alamos um, National Laboratory, like you said, as a as a as a scientist. Physicist, has, right? Yeah, as a okay. physicist. He has two degrees. He has one from Caltech and he has one from MIT. Um, I don't know what engineering degrees he had, but those institutions have no record of him actually saying that he ever went to school there. And there was a person quoted as saying, if you can alter MIT's records in order to say that no one had ever attended here, you're messing with someone that's very in, very, oh, yeah. very, very deeply in embedded in the system. Right. 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 And or now, monitored too, yeah, right? Yeah. So the, there's a there's a few things to highlight here about this is that in 1989, or bef- prior to 1989, when he was the whistleblower talking about you know what was going on at Area 51 and the science projects he had worked on, was that he worked at Los Alamos International Laboratory, or excuse me, National Laboratory, and what he did was he took a jet engine out of his car. Yeah, or he took a jet engine and put, put it, it into put his it, car. Put it in, put it into his car. Honda think, or yeah, something, his Honda right? or his Camry or something like that. But yeah. every morning he'd go to work and he'd start up this jet engine, and he said that it, it pissed off everybody. And it was, I would it was, imagine. I would imagine that you know a good way to start the morning is listening to a fucking jet engine, <laughs> car. Yeah. like buzzing down yeah, the yeah. street. Oh yeah, yeah. So what happened was the. Los Alamos newspaper did an article on him, and they actually have. The article still cataloged with him working there, you know, next sitting right next to his car. And he's quoted from that newspaper. But the thing is, is that after he had and stated that he was the whistleblower, they said, you've never worked here. Right. But there's a book that has him cataloged as working at Los Alamos. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Which really makes you feel like a legit cover up over this guy. Yeah. Like you can kind of see the pieces already that there's something that... He's been exposed to that they don't want him to be credible on. And so what he ends up doing is after Los Alamos, what he does is he decided that he was going to try to make a few business business prospects and they didn't work out. So um, he saw one after they had done the article, um, the father of the hydrogen bomb, I forget his name. He had actually talked to him while he was reading the newspaper and he was kind of like, it was just a mutual, like an acquaintance thing, right? So two or three years goes by and he sends out all these different resumes. Well, he sends one of those resumes out to the father of the hydrogen bomb and he says, hey, here, I got a contact for you. And kind of like, it makes you wonder like, okay, what is this, what is this, what does this guy know? Or as a, as a, as a preposition that he's offering Bob Lazar to work on something, what did this guy know that mm-hmm. was kind of like his the father of the hydrogen bomb as a liaison to someone else? You know, how does that work between the network of, you know, getting hired for these certain, you know, government projects where he's going to go work on this alien spacecraft? Right. Well, sends this guy his resume. Then this guy's like, hey, I've got this contact for you over at EE&G, which is a defense contractor. And uh, the EE&G... Um, that's like a cover-up name. Yeah, basically. yeah, the, yeah. The E E and G thing. The way that went down is, they were like, "All right, cool. You know, we're gonna allow you to come in. 
you know, for an interview, whatever he goes in and then he just says that it's a bunch of paperwork. And so then that's how it started. Was right. that he went in and he started getting all of this different paperwork for, um, you know, the top secret clearance that he's going to get and all, and all of these other things. Yeah. You know, so that's how that got started. Yeah. And he, um, basically got in with the government at that point and that's where it started. Yeah. And so more or less from what he says is he was tasked with reverse engineering mm-hmm. the technology. Yeah. Which is really interesting. You know, I mean, like, um, I feel like that's been a popular belief of some people Um, in anything to do with aliens. Nobody Mm -hmm. wants to come out and be like, oh, yeah, I believe in aliens. Right. It's seen, I think, more like from the popular perspective of you're crazy. Yeah. Could never be. Because I I think about this where I think what we just need is we need definitive proof. You know, but that proof is something that we've never come across before. Well, know? or do we, or do they not want us yeah. to, or do they not want to tell us about it? Yeah. You know, like how, what's the public's reaction going to be um, if they were to say, oh yeah, there is more intelligent stuff out there or we've found stuff or some kind of proof, you know, the public reaction would be negative. Uh, maybe, Probably. maybe. Uh, and does it have religious implications too? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure that it does, right? You I know, think, I think that people's belief systems would get challenged. Absolutely. You know? And I don't know in those briefings that Bob Lazar received, he said that a few of those objects were from archaeological digs. Yeah. And he also Ancient. said, yeah, he also. The briefings, he said that he had a, like a hundred different pages of briefings that had taken place before when he was hired in 1989. Mm-hmm. And what's very intriguing is that he said that they had also interfered with human evolution. That over a period of years, it it basically advanced human migrate. Like, did they affect our migration across the entire world so that we could essentially populate the earth and then they can monitor us Hmm. which would be a very interesting intriguing way to to see things because we still have no idea where we there's still things that puzzle humans as to where did you know how did we travel from you know africa to this place you know we have a very there's there's a solid theory but it's still you know it's the thing it's theory yeah they still we there's no way to really and even no. if it wasn't a direct impact, though, I guess mm-hmm. like a lot of people think a lot of the technological advancements and the pace <clears throat> at which those advances have been mm-hmm. released over the last hundred years, you know, um, could be explained by reverse engineering something yeah. that's better and almost like a trickle out effect, too. Yeah. Right. And they say like government technology obviously is better than what the public has. Yeah, so like if you look at the SR-71, you know, that was way, that, that's, that aircraft was way ahead of its time. Yeah. You know, it was, it was so pl- puzzling to the Russians that they couldn't shoot down this aircraft that traveled faster than their actual missiles, you know, right. and, and it's, it's super high. Yeah. Up, it's too. super that's high cool. up. So, yeah. it, you know, you sit here and you say to yourself, you're like, wow, the feats of engineering that go into this, this technology is, yeah. is so, astronomical. So is it something that, you know, we're just finding out from reverse engineering or are we actually 
you know, discovering it. It could be either way. I mean, honestly, mm. and everything we talk about today well, really in, is in, like in in the thing that Bob Lazar mentioned. He said that there was ones that were of extraterrestrial origin, mm-hmm. but then there was also ones that were man-made. Yeah. Well, and so I think like one of the interesting things about technological advancement is as we progress, as we make tech better then it actually fosters some faster development too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, written language was kind of the first form that we could store data and we could pass it on to the next generation. Um, but nowadays, it's like, you know, all the computers and information storage and search engines, it's easier to look stuff up now than... When I was a kid. Yeah, you'd have you know? to go to a library and look through the pages yeah. and everything. Have an encyclopedia. You know? I remember Britannica, was it Britannica? Yeah. Britannica. Oh, yeah. yeah. We Britannica had encyclopedias, encyclopedias yeah, when yeah. I was growing up. And it's like, use the index. That's yeah, your you search use engine. the index and then you, you yeah. type in. Um, oh, my I remember goodness. I had, um, I remember I had, what's his name? Um, the guy that invented the Nobel Peace Prize, Alfred Nobel. Yeah. I go on and I type in Alfred Nobel and nothing came up. I was like, what the hell? I was like, this guy invented the Nobel Peace Prize. And it was it was just the out-of-date encyclopedia. They couldn't fit enough room. So as CDs that we had. Right. So as our tech gets better, then it makes it easier to continue that advancement mm. too. Um, and you build off what the previous generation has learned. Uh, but it is interesting to think of the, like maybe some of it is kind of alien in nature um or could be right yeah. so if they've had an if they have had an influence on the way in which we embrace technology where if you give you know the 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 saying you know you give a man a fish you know he eats for a day you teach a man how to fish he eats for the rest of his life you know where if we were given the ability to harness um fire or something along those lines you know can you imagine what you know, we're the only species that was essentially ever able to perform that task, mm-hmm. you know, and then we yeah. look at we look at the proteins and how our ability to, you know, hunt animals and as, as a team, you know, because I sit here and I think to myself, like, I look at the state that we're in today where we're so polarized, you know, but I use that I use that in conjunction with seeing how polarized we were even back in primitive times we're walking up to a tribe it's like hey we got to go get some food and all of a sudden you come across someone in the woods and you're like oh my god i don't know if this this is going to play out and you imagine that stacked times times ten thousand. you know where if the person an average 30 year old person living back then is like 100 lifetimes for us today because the just every single day is the is survival right you know and right and i think to myself like some civilizations don't have a written language. Some things that if they encountered anything, yeah, when you're what the hell, what the how the hell would they interpret something that we deem today as kind of like a fallacy, a joke, like oh aliens, you know? It's tougher to they, make advancements when yeah. most of your time is spent either harvesting or surviving yeah. or yeah. defending, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like you don't really have a lot of time to sink. R&D into stuff, yeah. you know, yeah. it's like, oh, I'll make a better spear. I think yeah. that might be about the extent of it, you know? Yeah. Um, but so, I mean, yeah, life's easier for us in that sense. And maybe that's what contributes to it. But, um, you know, one of the interesting things that he had mentioned was the propulsion unit mm. on the spacecraft. Right. And so what 
what does the spacecraft use according to bob yeah so according to bob the <laughs> quotations according to bob oh i like oh, this. i know I, like I, lo- I love i love our like our deity our deity bob bob lazar well i mean we'll our probably, lord and savior we'll spin bob away from bob i'm sure soon our enough, lord and but. savior bob lazar um no he uh so he he in 1989, when he first gave an interview to the man George Knapp, who was an investigative journalist, mentions an element called Element 115. And Element 115 is a fuel source for the spacecraft. Now, the way he describes the spacecraft is that there's no moving parts. When he went in and he had, after he had been approved by EENG to get on a plane and go work in these facilities... And the first thing that he didn't kind of acknowledge was just like, is this a, is this really an alien spacecraft? And he said that it was an ominous feeling kind of having that, that existential crisis that you would have of like realizing that this is an actual, like th- think about that. You know how people, when they say, you know, they're going to storm the beaches, oh, I would storm the beaches of Normandy, but then it actually happens. The actual surreal experience of it happening firsthand is, is, is is very different. Mm-hmm. And so maybe the reason why they have to screen people so heavy is because of how they're going to react. How are they going to react in the existential crisis or identity crisis of where we are and and not being able to know. Yeah. Not being able to know because the security is the security protocols are so high, right? And so the way he describes these aircraft from what he was exposed to was as if they were built by 3D printers. And they're powered by this element, element 115. Yeah. But he said that that back in 1989, and they weren't able to replicate element 115, I think, until 2006. Yeah, and they haven't or, been able to make a stable yeah. element 115. It's, mm-hmm. you know, they, it will collapse it as will, soon as they make yeah, it. Yeah, because according to science, is it, if they have you know, they'll recreate a lot of these elements in, inside labs or whatever. But if it exists, even just for like a micro, a microsecond of a microcosm, whatever you want to call it, then it did still exist. Mm-hmm. So that means that if it's it just can, not stable. It's just, yeah, exactly. They can't figure out how it to comes, make it yeah, stable. It comes, it comes and then it vanishes in, in one, one millionth of a second, but it did exist. So if there is certain circumstances on other planets where it would exist under conditions we can't understand then maybe that element could still exist i mean it could be created the same way all heavy elements are created plutonium was created that we we made you know for the atomic atomic well i'm just saying yeah i mean sure we can you know make some off of reactions and things like that but i'm just saying in general well every heavy element is forged in stars right when they die and so maybe there's parts of the universe or galaxy that has stable element 115. Maybe yeah. we're just not in part of it, which would make it all the more intriguing if they've got stable element 115 out there. It's like, well, where did where'd that come from? Yeah. You know? And so when he was talking about how the craft was powered through this, um, Here we yeah, go. It's, been, it's been a little bit. So every, every time... We create something, it doesn't operate at 100% efficiency. You know, it operates at, because it, it generates heat, like your the car, the, our car, you know, our phones, everything generates heat in a performance metric, I guess. I don't know how it works. Don't quote me. I'm not a, I'm not a scientist. 
but he says that this element it's it's weight based so you you it, it there's this little there's the reactor that produces the anti-gravity for the actual ship right and it's powered by that that element you take it you take the element and you put it on this kind of like this little pad i guess or like a like a hot plate looking thing and it emits a small coronal discharge in the bottom of the aircraft as a byproduct but the thing is is that it operates at 100% efficiency he says and it doesn't generate heat which is which to him was so puzzling mm-hmm. because he's like we don't we don't make we don't make this he's like we don't have this kind of technology but i think the most interesting thing about it is that he was saying that it can manipulate gravity which we can't recreate you know like the only way we know how to create gravity is through mass Mm -hmm. right like the bigger the mass of something then that's what creates gravity if this element can be manipulated in a way to create gravity or or warp gravity or anything like that to me that really would be a interesting way of explaining how to travel interstellar mm-hmm. right so can i interject here for a yeah, second yeah go for it now i don't know if from the podcast here let's take a let's take 2 seconds to grab some coffee dave let's pause this all right we're back so um to just reiterate yeah so this is one thing i wanted to talk about that i was confused about with that 115 in the actual spacecraft was the reactor. Now, I don't know if it's the reactor that produces the anti-gravity itself because he said that they tried cutting into the reactor with a cutting torch and then the the guy previous to him had been been he was gone. Didn't make yeah, it. Yeah, didn't make it. So that's why they brought in <clears throat> that's why they brought in Bob Lazar. Yeah, scary. I think what ele- the element 115 does is it powers that reactor that creates that anti-gravital that anti- so you think maybe element 115 doesn't necessarily manipulate the gravity it's mm. whatever this it's what's powering is. the reactor for okay. the anti-gravity like how we would use uranium sure. to power a nuclear like the the nuclear reactor is the one that causes um like well, you know we use you, uranium yeah. Or, well, yeah. or yeah we use the radioactive material mm-hmm. to superheat the water to power of the generators yeah. and create the electricity. Yeah, so the, it's a fuel source yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah. That makes sense. Which is the thing the thing that's interesting though is that he says it operates at 100% efficiency and there's no radioactive they can use it within the same vicinity of the aircraft. Is that when we use you know material for we're we're using isotopes like U238 plutonium in order to power our nuclear, you know, nu- our um aircraft carriers subs all these kind of things where we can eliminate the need for submarines to surface for you know months at a time or whatever Mm -hmm. it still has radioactivity inside of it and basically if you walk into the well and you're saying it's not 100 percent efficient yeah it's it's pretty efficient but it's 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 efficient but it still has a a certain danger element to it you know which which unfortunately waste product yeah afterwards you know you have the depleted you know uranium or whatever yeah yeah, I mean, that's fascinating. But I think that what is interesting about um, the fact that they use gravity or that gravity is the propulsion mm. is it's like you have to figure we're not talking traveling no. 
small distances, right? Uh, Interstellar is so vast. It's one of the more interesting things to think about when you look at stars and it's like, oh, that's however many light years away. That's at the speed of light. We'll say it's five light years away. It takes five years of traveling at the speed of light, which, you know, they say you can't travel at the speed of light. So how do you make up the difference? You know, like, how do you do that? And, you know, I was having a very, I've been trying to figure out how aliens would have done it. I know this sounds kind of like, well, not crazy, but I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I'm like, how would they monitor us over the period of hundreds of thousands of years if they only, if they had an equivalent lifetime to us, right? Mm. If they had the equivalency of a lifetime to us, where we only live, let's say, 80 years. You know, we have 80 Earth years. To them might be only 15 of their years or, you know, whatever, depending on how their planet orbits a certain sun or whatever. So maybe their time runs slower for us than how our time runs yeah. for us. Yeah, based time on, is interesting. Based on, based on the way their planet orbits a sun, but uh, you're familiar with Stephen Hawking, right? Yeah. So Stephen Hawking did a experiment. It's a, it's a, it's a dude. It's it's gonna be very hard for me to explain. So I might link you this afterwards. Yeah. But people that are listening, Stephen Hawking, yeah. Is so hard people, to explain in general. Yeah. So people that are listening, um, just try to work with me on this. Um, Stephen Hawking uses the metaphor for a party that if we're going to use time travel right you travel at the speed of light einstein's theory of special relativity says to keep it short and sweet the faster you go the slower time moves well yeah Mm -hmm. the slower time moves for that person well no for what you're looking at Mm. you know so if his thought process this is super interesting is he's like so what you see the image that i see of you sitting across the table is technically a historic image right it takes time for the light to get to me obviously not it's Mm -hmm. like instantaneous but technically it's a historical image same thing for the stars right and what he's saying is if you were to look at a clock Right. And you were to be moving away from the clock, um, then the act of moving away is lengthening the um, light particles. Right. So like the photons. Yeah, yeah. They have to travel a further distance, further and further. Right. Well, if you were to travel faster and faster and faster, that clock would appear to slow down because it's taking longer and longer for that image to get to you. And if you were to obviously hit the speed of light, what would happen to the clock? The image would be frozen. It would mm. stop, right? Mm-hmm. So, But time still passes the same for the person that's moving at the speed of light. So there's the two, the two, the two levels of observation. Right. Mm-hmm. But the actual image that you're seeing has stopped. Uh, so maybe time for you is passing normally, but time for the other person has slowed down. And that's why know? there's essentially, there's no universal time limit because you, because in the universe, it seems that everything is running at its own 
Mm-hmm. Clock, it's linked essentially. So space time, right? Yeah. Space and, and time are two. Mm-hmm. They're they're interwoven with Einstein's theory of yeah. general relativity, where the more mass an object has, the more gravitational pull it has. Yep, and gravity affects time, right? Yeah. They've. It's really interesting the studies they've done on Earth about how time passes, uh, because one of the things that they do is they have these um, machines that they've engineered that are just like the most precise timekeepers that they can develop, right? And they're still trying to work on even... Are those even, the electron, where they, they monitor time with these like? I think it has crazy, to do with some with kind of lasers atomic, or whatever yeah, that they shine in there. Of a, of a, of an More or less, though, what they've yeah. figured out is that um, time passes differently if you're slower, technically, I guess, for you, if you're standing next to a mountain, something with a lot more mass than if you were to stand out in the plains. Also, it t- passes differently if you were to be further away from the center of the earth, right? They know that time has passed differently for um, astronauts and the International Space Station. And they actually have to account for that. Yeah, I they think have that, to reset the clocks on the satellites for GPS because right. then everybody would end up 20 minutes on a, on a, on a you know, 2,000 mile period, yeah, of, long time, period of time. Yeah, yeah, but it would be off, right? Yeah, so they have to account for that. So, I mean, time is kind of an interesting thing to think about because we say that that's such a limitation. But if gravity and space are so interwoven and you could manipulate that somehow, is there such a thing as being able to teleport? Like, you know, I, from I, one I point heard to a, the next. I heard a quote the other day that really made me, in just a few short words, do you want to think of this concept? The universe created time so that everything doesn't happen all at once. Mm, okay. That's fucking weird, isn't it? To think of that, that time, that maybe all of this has taken place before, but that time only moves in one direction. You know, because you can't, you can't go, you can't go backwards. And that was tying into what I was going to before is that you can't go backwards in time. It only moves at one, one speed relative to us or the person and you can't create it and you can't destroy it. It just, it's there. You can measure it, but can you manipulate it? Yeah. That's, is that a different dimension? And that's an interesting thing is that with this, with this technology that Bob Lazar was exposed to is that with the propulsion system is that if you can manipulate gravity, you can essentially manipulate, you can, you can do anything. You can manipulate time Mm -hmm. because time and gravity are essentially, like you said, interwoven space time with one another. So, Right. And, um, you know, is time like the next dimension? Is it? Right. You know, like it's, it's a, so in Stephen Hawking's experiment, what he does is he has these, all of these decorations up and all of these different, um, people supposedly attending this party. And he says, we're going to be welcoming all of my friends from the future. He's like, all my friends from the future are going to come to this, this point in time. And it's like, hey, welcome future, future me, future friends. They never arrive. They never arrive. And so the thing is, is that even though he's creating these, this party for his future friends, we're still moving forward in time. And he's like, okay, hang on. I, I got a way to do this. Let's create a time machine. And then 
once we create this time machine and we've, we've established the ability to manipulate time, then we can only ever travel back to when that time machine was first created because we can't go. So let's say in the year 1899, we invented the first time machine. We can always go back to 1899, but we can't go before that because the way in which some scientists have proposed or certain you know theorists have said about time is that if we create a machine and we can figure it out, we'll only ever be able to be at that infinitesimal point in time. We won't be able to go before that. We can only go between, so like, let's say we can go between 1899 to where we are now. We want to go back to 1899. We won't know how to go back before then. We can only go to where we were first able to create a machine that was able to manipulate it at that point in place. And so that's what Stephen Hawking says, is that I think that if we were an extraterrestrial being, and we wanted to manipulate the advancement of humans or based on their understanding of of their aspect of time for them. Maybe they live a thousand years compared to one of ours. You know, we don't know. Yeah. But you plant something on Earth and you say, hey, what year is it? Fucking 20,000, 100,000 B.C. And then they say, "Hey, let's go fuck around in the in the in the cosmos for a bit, and let's come back and check up on these guys in in a, in a few in a in a few what we would consider our Earth years." But then when they come back to us, we're already we've got skyscrapers up, we've got all these things, and they say, "Oh, they've advanced X Y Z this fast." Mm. Hey, let's come back and let's that let's me let's, of... let's go move, let's go fuck around and check out this planet, and then come back to Earth and check to see how these guys here. Let's throw something at them this to see how this comes. They vanish for a few years, and then they come back, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, hey, look, they've got fucking nuclear technology. We've been gone for this amount of time, and they come back, and then they see- All an experiment. All of an experiment. Have you you seen um, the show The Orville? Mm-mm. obviously it's just like a funny spacey show really good you know um if you like the trekkie nerds and stuff like that i i like star trek and whatnot mm-hmm. but uh this one always makes me think like wow it's the most like the original star trek and anyway on this episode they visit this planet and they have their technology right but this planet doesn't have technology and they see some of that technology in use, like uh, I think one of them uses their high-tech stuff to heal somebody that was sick. And they think this girl is a god, right? And uh, they go back up to the ship and then the planet does this like whole like warp thing where it uh, time passes much slower for them than for the Orville, right? Orville, time's passing, just normal. And then all of a sudden this planet comes back into existence and they go back down and hundreds of years have passed or whatever and they have these shrines erected for this girl who they think is some kind of god right and uh then they end up leaving this ai robot on the planet and it disappears and they've oh yeah they've advanced their technology much the same as what she had used right well when they leave the ai robot and the planet goes through its time warp again and then they go back to the planet and all of a sudden it's completely you know like just teched out it's like all you know electronics and it's modern obviously it's, yeah, it's, the it's robot developed. had a lot to do with it but um you know same kind of idea is if they were to be able to 
eh, slow burn, you know, like introduce yeah. some technology to us and then come back. Yeah, I see what you're saying. That's kind of interesting. Because what's what the, the thing is, is that it's like the 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 thing's capacity, the capacity to learn, but also the capacity to um, understand patterns. Like, is the universe nothing but a concept of patterns? You know, where we we're supposed to be monitored like we are monitored by certain extra i'm not saying we are don't take yeah don't take my word oh we're monitored no like this is all just fucking skeptic shit that we're talking about this is all just an open yeah it's all hypothetical open conversation cool stuff to think about and if we are being visited to be monitored by these potential you know extraterrestrials you know what did they how did how did they go through the same process mm. you know and it what, could have been the same as what we're going through yeah. right now right i mean so uh, this is a so we were saying these are just fun thought exercises yeah. right here's a good one i heard it on uh ted talk and uh and it really ties into what we're talking about too and the guy says what if uh earth were to receive a transmission or a message from uh higher intelligent being and it said we'll be there in 50 years prepare right and it was broadcast worldwide how would we react as a planet we've had confirmation that oh there's higher intelligence mm. it's gonna be visiting what you, us what you do with the information you know what i mean like Sorry, keep going. No, I'm just saying, like, if if we were to be thinking about that as a planet and we were to say, wow, we got to prepare, what are we going to do? Are we going to fortify? Are we going to really try to beef up our technology? Um, Just like really a uh, cool thought provoking thing. Right. And then he turns around and says, you know, AI, advanced AI is less than 50 years away, most likely. Hmm. And so. How is that any different? And are we preparing ourselves for what life's going to be like? And imagine if if they had come down and they gave us this message and we reacted by building up our force, then they say, oh, these people are hostile. And then it's like, no, we're not being hostile. This is just we protection based, based from our own from our own primitive upbringing. Whenever we would have what we call a show of force, the reason why we're preparing is because from our experience from being humans is that what they deem as a threat is just how we would interact and prepare for each other more so than we would prepare for them. One of our you know? basic instincts is fight or flight, right? Yeah. Can't really f flight. You can't run away. Based on, yeah. based on the way we were brought up in nature, whereas if another being comes to talk to us or whatever, you know, maybe their mind doesn't operate in fight or flight. There's a whole other mechanism that we can't even account for because we, you know, based on let's say an, an exoplanet you know another planet or orbiting another star their their conditions for life were completely different than our conditions for life that that we developed here on earth you yeah. know so most likely like that's yeah. going to be the yeah. case i mean it diff obviously like cause um, you, i mean because they they we see astronauts in space where you know we need to mimic or kind of create an artificial environment just so that we can exist you know, mm -hmm. where we can exist in space in itself. Like we can't just go fly up into the cosmos and be like, oh, look at us. We're going to survive. You know, we're restricted to 
the conditions that our planet has been given to us based on millions and millions of years of, of how we've adapted through yeah through life so you want to visit our buddy bob again then sure with Go what ahead. you're saying so like when he was saying he was looking into the spacecraft he says that the there was seats but no controls like you were saying it was just nothing to touch no buttons nothing like that no bathrooms too or anything nothing um and so that leads you to believe like if there were beings on this thing uh they probably didn't require food like you or i or bathrooms or things like that most likely back to the ai right it's probably more than likely they have all the all the conditions are there that what he's describing is that we can put people on nuclear submarines and we can eliminate all the conditions that they need to surface we can you know, have them, they can produce their own water. They can produce their own oxygen. They can stay under the surface for six months at a time. And the only thing that prevents them from having to come back up to the surface is their food supply, a basic biological need. Right. Well, and you think of interstellar travel mm. and it's like, there's a lot of crap out there. It's not yeah. this, you know, space is not very conducive to life, right? I mean, you have radiation and debris and just you'd be much more suited to travel without a life form on board. And actually, I mean, that's pretty much, we've already launched a couple of those satellites, the Voyager one and two hmm. um, out interstellar. They're the we've, only ones we are yeah. the only ones we've ever launched that went beyond way, our beyond, solar system. Beyond. Yeah. We only yeah. ever launched two. Yep. Um, but that's how we've already started to broaden our horizon and it really would probably be the most likely way for us to ever uh, explore beyond our solar system, even, you know, making I mean, it even, to another star or something like that. You're going to probably be using some sort of artificial intelligence. So Because, I mean, there was a guy, sense. I mean, Joe Rogan, when he talks about his, you know, because he's a very well-informed guy on on AI, and that's one thing that, you know, I, I really look up to as a, as a as a person is listening to the conversations take place between him and his guests is he says that man or living beings are the catalyst for the machines. We're just the sex organs of the machine world. And what that means is that we're essentially our destiny, you could say, is that any way we can only travel without being restricted to a natural environment is to create artificial intelligence smart enough to mimic our image, if that would be the case, you know, mimic our, our image based on our own experiences in life, you know, with, with whatever. But that's a very kind of like, you know, you got some people Carry that are on like the human Skynet, story. Skynet and fucking Terminator, you know, Matrix and that's all that scary. kind of stuff. That's scary. But, yeah. You know, at that point, is that the actual, is that actual civilization? machines that can procreate by themselves that these natural beings yeah when it when the machine can self enhance mm -hmm. you know when yeah. it can when it can create technology itself yeah and it can learn and adapt, more so yeah. than it takes more so than it takes hundreds of thousands of years for a natural environment to do that you see that if we were to compare like robots and how well they they can advance and learn more so than like a human where it's like, hey, look at this human. Oh, it's going to take him hundreds of thousands of years to evolve where a robot's like, oh, we lost one robot. Hang on. Let's re let's reprogram this thing. All interconnected. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, we've really made it easy for machines to learn too, right? It's all part of the internet and the web and whatnot. Yeah, it's, um, because yeah, cause it, for it us, be interesting. yeah, because for us, it's with DNA, you know, and the the genetic mutations over, you know, however many thousands of years. But you know, like you said, going back, there was no seats. There's there's nothing, and he said that it was made for small. Beings. small beings which yeah. is given to the sounds privy to the idea of what most people report as the grays well i would think too you're right and i would think you know? they would have to be tied into the systems right if mm-hmm. there's no controls on the ship the controls are probably in the operators of the ship well you see know? he said that he doesn't they did test flights mm-hmm. and he went out and he saw them actually they saw the flight schedule and he was in radio communication with one of the the person driving the craft. Now, he doesn't know if it was a man or a potential being driving the craft, but they did basic maneuvers, so they know how to maneuver it. But he doesn't know if it was done remote-controlled, or he doesn't know if it was whatever. But he, was, he said that he saw someone in communication with the actual craft, and it would go left, right, you know, forward, backward. You know, it would gain altitude, lower altitude, like it would, like you would see with the helicopter. But there's maneuvers super fast. Yeah, it can move in any, it can move in any direction in three dimensional space, in a in a in an instant in any direction, Mm -hmm. 360 degree, you know, movement. Where if we have just a 2D, you know, where we go up, down, left, right, you add the Z axis, which is the three dimension. It can move in any plane of existence in a in a split second. Where for us, you know, you need to account for a certain distance to conduct that maneuver because our propulsion obviously you know go back to the fourth dimension right you know like is that working on the fourth dimension yeah there's got to be like more to it right yeah and it's 4d is hard for us to comprehend yeah because we live in a three-dimensional existence yeah and i mean they even tried to they even tried to kind of cover this in that movie interstellar where they were talking about um the way in which we would perceive a the fifth dimension in a three dimensional way it's it was when he was in the black hole are you saying yeah when he went into the black hole the without spoiling the moving the movie too much interstellar was yeah, it's been out forever yeah it's been out forever so too bad yeah so in the movie future humans supposedly that's who they were they were future humans who were able to access the fifth dimension and it it also kind of ties into maybe these supposed beings evolved in a different dimension and exposed themselves in a three-dimensional way so that we can so that they can understand us better but then go back to their own reality mm. their own level of existence mm-hmm. but in interstellar what they did was they explained it when he's on that water planet and he says he's he's yelling at her and she says we don't understand where they came from the fifth dimension, these fifth dimensional beings that made this wormhole for us, climbing up a mountain to them or, or going through back and forward in time is like going up a mountain to us. You know, we can go up a mountain, but they can go forward and backward in time like like no issue. So when Cooper fell into the black hole where time and space ceased to essentially exist, these future beings created what they call the Tesseract as a way for him to understand what the fifth dimension would look like 
from a third dimensional perspective. So that's why when you look at it and it's infinitesimal, there's there's this long, 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 inf- infinite hallway of simultaneous events happening between what we would call chaos theory with all of the potential outcomes, outcomes of what would happen whether his daughter took a left or his daughter took a right, whether he decided to take his truck that day or whether he didn't decide to take his truck that day, all infinitesimally in the center of this black hole. And mm-hmm. these future humans created this for him because they can access the fifth dimension anytime they want. So they're like, hey, he's not going to be able to understand our world, our reality. Mm-hmm. Let's construct something for him so that he can understand it from his perspective, but he's going to be perplexed. So they made it in a, in a three-dimensional way. So that's why as he's traveling down this hall, these infinite events that are all happening at once, simultaneously, his mind is limited to his own physical existence, mm. is that he can't go into the fourth he can't go into the fifth dimension because the laws of nature prevent him from doing that because yeah, we're just yeah. not allowed to do yeah. it i guess and so the yeah. only way the only way that he can communicate with his daughter is through gravitational waves and so that's why when he starts touching the watch he uses morse code through the watch a, through the watch and knocking the books off yeah. and things like exactly. that exactly and so yeah. the only thing that we can communicate with through is the gravity waves or gravity again gravity right going yeah. back to that and how that could be a way of getting around the whole time element that we face with yeah you know space but she also says a really interesting thing in the movie when she says well one thing that is tied to the existence of humans is that maybe we do experience some form of interdimensional communication between one another where we are all interconnected the idea of love. I know it sounds very cheesy, but she says, here I am, the Anne Hathaway's character, she says, here I am, you know, on the spacecraft. And she says, maybe, maybe there is a way naturally that we just, we can't communicate it. We can only experience it. And she says, maybe love is this thing, this idea of art that we have to express ourselves in a way where we all were, we're trying to tap into something that we can't necessarily explain, you know, where the, even the idea of the matrix, where maybe we are conditioned to reject certain ideas where even in the matrix, you know, they try to replicate a certain situation, but you wake up in the morning and you're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. The matrix is a fun thought experiment yeah. too, right? Yeah. Prove that the matrix isn't real, Josh, go ahead and prove it. Well, I'm drinking some black coffee right now, yeah, and it tastes yeah. pretty good. It's, it's telling my mind that... Yeah, no, uh, there's no way to prove that. That's really like a fun thought experiment, too. Where, how did the universe come to be? Is it one big simulation? It could be. And even Joe Rogan says he had a very illuminating guest on there where he says that it's more likely that we are in a simulation than that we aren't. Well, so and, I, and he tried explaining that to me, dude. I just I I I paused, and I was like, man, I got to reflect on this for a second. You know, it's, it's like, fascinating. So they've done studies um, about they've tried to kind of use computer simulation to study what would happen if two galaxies collide. That's like mm-hmm. part of the space 
exploration that they've done. And uh, it's really fascinating. And they have to use some of the most powerful computers in the world in order to do it. Um, and you can look it up. I, I don't know exactly where the computer is, but I've seen pictures of these computers that they use and they're massive. And that's modern day too, right? Mm. A lot of computing power uh, behind this. Uh, and it's kind of fascinating actually what they've come up with when galaxies collide. They know that that's happened, right? They've Hubble has taken pictures of, even looked at pictures of um, what happens afterwards, right? And kind of all the stars commingle and eventually it becomes one bigger galaxy. But they say that the likelihood of stars crashing into one another is very minimal when something like that happens. And they know that because they've run these simulations on these super powerful computers. So is it impossible that there's even more powerful computers that are just letting things play out, letting you and I exist an and have this conversation because, right Because, I mean, if you think about it, like even getting back to, you know, the original quote, time exists so that everything doesn't happen at once is that if we go all the way back to the beginning where humans have the, what's the ultimate question? Why are we here? 40, you know, 42. Isn't that yeah, the answer on uh, a yeah, hitchhiker's guide? Yeah, yeah. yeah, of course. What's uh, it's like uh, d dividing by zero. Some um, it's, it's basically what is the ultimate question is that, you know, why are we here and, and how did we get here? You know? And I think that if you become too heavily invested in that thought, it's going to drive, like, I think that that's the path to insanity is that, you know, like our natural, our natural, we have, we, we have certain needs both physically and mentally, you know, that's why when we see people running up, like I see it myself when, you know, uh, friends of mine are what I call products of movement, you know, you give them, they're designed, not designed, but they were preconditioned to move so fast you know, that the moment you take away their movement, they kind of shut down. You know, they need movement in order to live. That's their life. You have other people on the exact opposite flip side that don't want to move. They're programmed to just want to sit and they can deal with that in life. And, the, you know, there's different precursors that people are exposed to. But I think what people don't think about is where, you know, what is the ultimate question? And the ultimate question is, why are we here and where did we come from? You know, from the ultimate, the ultimate beginning of what we say is the big bang, you know, and you're, you know, you watch a lot of astronomy stuff. Um, if all of a sudden, you know, we fat, we, we, we were able to not fabricate, we were able to cultivate the technology to speed up time, but also come back, you know, what, would the universe look like when all of this is is done it's just eternal darkness you know and mm. then what happens well we don't really know right i mean yeah. we still so that are maybe trying to maybe that is the entire this entire existence like you said is just what from our perspective what we would call a simulation mm. but in some distant other universe well, and they no. even say, too, when they study, um, like, the smallest building blocks there are, right? I mean, like, so we think of atoms. Um, oh, I have a fun fact about atoms, right? Did you know that in one grain of sand, 
there are more atoms that create that grain of sand than there are grains of sand on the planet. That's insane. That's right? crazy. Yeah. And they also say there are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand. All the grains of sand yeah. in every beach in yeah. the entire world. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, but um, smaller than, what's smaller than an atom, right? The protons, the neutrons, electrons. And then what? They go smaller than that. Quarks, right? They, Isn't they, that? Um, they, I don't, I don't know the term. I'm, I do have a little bit of familiar, fam, fam, I can't even, Somebody's we're talking some deep that. shit. I can't but even anyway, say familiar, so familiar. At the smallest level, they say it's just pure information, mm. right? Again, information, right? So yeah. we're going back to that. Um, and, you know, what caused the Big Bang? There's a bunch of theories, but one of them is that it was kind of like information overload. It started off and then all of a sudden there was too much information and it needed to kind of split off into a kind of a three-dimensional realm or something like that, right? Uh, which is really fascinating to think about because if it was on a 2D plane and then it split the plane and all of a sudden everything came into existence, that would help to explain why there is no center of the universe. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Where's no, the center of the universe? No it's everywhere. It's everywhere and anywhere at any specific yep. point in time. That's why people say, what's on the edge of the universe? It's like, well, there really isn't, there really isn't an edge. We just know that it's expanding and it's right. not, that's why like people, cause I think I remember reading somewhere when someone asks that question, they say, all right, the universe is expanding. But then they say, yes, we know the universe is expanding, but there's essentially no center and there's no end. Well, then it's, they say, well, what what happens if you get to the end of it? They're like, well, you you wouldn't can't right you can't yeah because and, it's 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 not it's not it's not possible. And see, that's <laughs> hard for us to fathom, right? It's hard for us to think about that there's no edge of the universe, and there could be, but there they don't think that there is, right? And like the way to kind of get somebody along that thought process is. Where's the edge of the earth? Walk yeah. in a straight line for long enough. Yeah. Tell me, tell me when you hit the edge, right? Yeah. And it's, the, there's and no there edge. Was, um, there was a guy that asked the question, can you know, travel faster than light? There's only one thing that can travel faster than light. And it's the idea of in physics, it's not, it doesn't, it isn't related to economics. It's inflation yeah. is that space. When the big bang happened, space itself, the, the, the distance travels faster like at the at the faster than your fingers snap milliseconds it it just it's created yeah faster than we can even faster than the speed faster than the speed of light faster than anything that we could even even under we could still yet to understand it all just appeared in space space itself just was created in this micro 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 you know extremely fast microsecond Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe they say yeah. this is really uh, on uh, the Cosmos show. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson did the most recent one. And uh, he he was trying to explain how much happened in the beginning of the Big Bang. And it's really fascinating. He said, if you take the first second of the universe, right, more things happened in the first second of the creation of the universe than have happened since hmm. and it's been around over 13 billion years yeah that is wild to think about like that was a 
violent, you know, you know creation. And what's, and what's a really kind of perplexing thought is that maybe the universe has been around for a hundred billion years. Maybe well, from maybe our, it wasn't the first one, right? Yeah. And well, that's I mean, when you were saying what happens at the end, what happens yeah. when it fizzles out? Well, maybe, yeah, maybe is there going to be another one? Yeah, maybe from our perspective here on Earth, it seems that it is. It has been going on for thirteen point eight billion years, but what happens when you insert again the idea of traveling certain vast distances? What does that do for the? Is does the universe have a time clock? We see we see thirteen point seven billion years according to what we can understand from our level of observation. Now, if the universe has to happen, or if the if the entire realm of existence, this sphere that we find ourselves in, that we call you know nature or whatever, mother nature, does it have a universal time limit? But what I ended up saying to someone one time was was like I just came to the conclusion I was like, dude, time doesn't really exist and then he's like what do you mean i'm like well the only i can see it on my hand and i'm like well it's it's more of an illusion than it is a measurement because I, I don't it's relative to the specific person is that like you were saying when you get farther and farther away from something it stops yeah and so even and we have these I, we even have these natural phenomena in nature, you know, black holes, where black holes at the center, the singularity, where the gravitational pull is so strong that light can't escape. Light can't escape, but it also one of the things that confuses scientists is the idea of time. Is does does how do you how if time ceases to exist, it just I understand, you know, all the 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 idea of oh, you know, light can't escape and high gravitational pull if you have something that doesn't exist like it time just ceases at the center how do you explain that in a in a, in a way of of physics because scientists are so confused by that they don't mm. they it's they, it's what you know it's what they say essentially dividing by zero because they're not yeah it breaks down it, our it, physics. it breaks down they don't they don't know you know and so that's like it, it goes to show and that's like one of the fascinating things about space is that there's so much more to understand so much more to discover um that like quantum physics and you know um just what do you call that relative relativity yeah, yeah. theory of relativity physics um that they can't explain black holes they need kind of some kind of bridge in order to yeah. explain the two but one of the possible solutions uh to to that gap and to that bridge is like a two-dimensional universe which could have been how it was created in the first place and again does that open up the possibility of if we are part of a holographic universe like can you warp through to a different area right my buddy nick has yeah. uh this theory he's like could you fax us could you just fax <laughs> our information yeah. to a different it's um, like if you see in the office when when uh when Jim uh sends Dwight a fax from the future, he's like, Dwight, do not eat the coffee or something, <laughs> and then he Dwight like freaks out. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, but you know, at the most basic level, if that's what makes us up is information, like could you recreate that information somewhere and, else? And then that so again, not maybe. to get not to get cheesy here, but maybe there's something that it is tied into the idea of, again the idea of what we seem as emotion mm. something that 
communicates other through other boundaries where if we do have communication, maybe you are in touch with another version of you in a different universe, different universe, a different possibility where one day you'll wake up and you'll feel amazing. And then all of a sudden you just, you go to sleep and you're communicating some way because sleep is so puzzling where we spend one third of our life sleeping and you say, Hey, you know, I'm going to go to this other place of existence in order to communicate with this other potential version of myself. No, you create when to, you sleep. What? And you dream. What? Why do you dream? Lay it on me, Dave. Uh, DMT. DMT. Is it, yeah. Isn't yeah. that? Uh, yeah. That's a, yeah. Do some, do some shrooms, man. Hell no, yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying like yeah. you were just saying about Joe Rogan and everything. Obviously he's uh, a big proponent. He's done of, it. Yeah. And he says that launches you almost like into a different universe. And one of the things is, is that everyone who's experienced it has a very similar experience, right? And almost like can communicate with something else, right? Yeah. So is he there says, something he else He said that there? other things, so he was prepared because he's experienced in it. But he said that other things were speaking to him. Other, exactly. other, yeah. other beings were speaking to him. And whether they're an illusion or whether they're you know, these kind of like astral figures of people that are reaching out to us from a different dimension relative or in, in parallel existence to our own. We just, maybe they're only one second behind us, you know, where if we can, if we can monitor or we can create that time machine where if they're only one second behind, like just a microsecond behind us, you know, where this, this natural phenomena that takes place, maybe they're, Maybe that's what we're communicating is the person one second ahead of us, one second behind us. You know, you don't you don't really know. And even in, in string theory, they talk about that, um, which still uh, I think you, you have an under do you, you know, string theory a little bit. It's a dude. It's ridiculous. It's, the mathematical things you need. But they say that they go even I think this is what we talked about before um, the last before this podcast got taken out by the government. <laughs> um, was that the there's the atoms but then you go even you go even smaller than the atoms and there's these very small electrical strings and they just vibrate but they have different sizes these strings itself and so there are these things called brains like like a membrane but um it's not a it's not what we would do do what we would decipher as a cell membrane on the outside portion. So they just call it a, a brain. And it's kind of like, imagine it is like this, this piece of fabric, right? And these strings that make up atoms are also, they can be as, as small as an atom. They can be as big as a galaxy. But the problem is, is we don't know how to interact with them. These strings of, of electricity or whatever, these vibrating strings. And what it did that puzzled scientists was it actually brought us back before the big bang is that we are all in these parallel dimensions is that string theory brings in the idea of in some again very very basic very basic very <laughs> fucking extremely complex very basic superficial understanding of it but there was the idea that there was 13 dimensions but then one scientist proposed you're all looking at this in a different way. So you know when you're in a mirror house and you see all of these different mirrors taking place, 
there was so many different theories that one guy unified the theory and said, there's actually, you're all looking at the same thing in the mirror house. You're just seeing it from all these different perspectives. And so then he, he unified it through some mathematical formula and was able to come to the conclusion that there is the potential for multiple universes to exist and we're only within this other universe like literally millimeters from it in existence now we're talking on a cosmic cosmic yeah. cosmic scale you're saying they yeah. exist in the same like area yeah or whatever and so when they when they they vibrate and they move right over the period of the timeline of the universe what happens is is these these brains these multi-dimensional theories that they vibrate literally just what we would millimeters it's actually like hundreds billion trillion incalculable distances to our understanding but they exist very close to one another so and i think so when they when they move together and they collide they bounce off and then that's what causes the phenomenon of the big bang so um isn't the string theory something about like every possible choice you know like every possible outcome is in existence right i think i think something so. along I those dude, lines. there's a lot to that but theory, i know with but string theory like there's very... like it's a multiverse right they yeah. have multiple yeah. universes laid on one one on top of the other i mean i definitely think that uh there could be multiple universes i i would think that there are you know if ours just came into be again beyond our universe right there could be other universes out there too or they could be overlaid i don't know yes yeah. but that that's another fun thought exercise and so too, yeah like, like oh. the you know you're provoking the mind and sitting here i it just raises another question to me what happens if we're the first or what happens if we weren't the first you know where these other galactic beings you know, come, they were the first ones. Maybe we're the last ones, you know? Well, yeah. And I mean, as far as like life forms go, we most certainly could be late to the game. Yeah. I don't know, right? I mean, Earth is four and a half billion years old, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but the universe we just said is over 13 billion years old. We know that some big event happened yeah. on the Earth to create the moon. A Mars-size impact with what was Earth at that time, and then that there's the Moon. Yeah, um, you know, and if life had already jump-started on Earth at the time, there was already water and everything at that time. Then certainly that put a stop to that, yeah. you know, and it was kind of resetting the clock. Uh, but there could be other places that were more uh, prone to life in the universe that already had been flourishing and maybe have had a better go of it than us. You know, one of the things that's kind of depressing to think about too, is how hostile space is, right? Earth has oh, absolutely. been hit by yeah. asteroids in our lifetime and certainly big ones, right? They got rid of the dinosaurs and yeah. all that stuff. Um, you know, maybe life is temporary on Every planet in the universe, you know, it's like, or do they have to develop technology enough so that they can prevent some kind of catastrophe like an asteroid impact or a comet impact or something along those lines that's going to send can, them back? Yeah, where the goal for them to see is if they're self-sustaining. There's a, um, 
there's a guy by the name of uh do you need a do you need a break no. real quick oh want to grab some coffee again no okay so there was um another guest that was on joe rogan's podcast uh commander fravor talks about um this object that he had witnessed uh when he was flying for the u.s navy right and you know he's a very reputable person as well he was a he was a um he was an enlisted marine and then he went to the navy and he you could tell that he's a pilot you know you could tell that he's, he's got that he's got that pilot personality I like you know? that. Like, yeah he's got that he's got that kind of like that arrogance to him you know mm. like that that cocky cocky kind of attitude like adrenaline yeah, yeah 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 um yeah but he talks it made me think that you know the way the military operates is that if if the enemy sees them it's kind of like what the fuck man like you guys got caught you know and he mentions that when he was in con- when he was videotaping this object you know he's like yeah they, they probably went back and then they were angry they're like you guys got fucking caught and I'm sitting here thinking to myself I'm like man maybe we have technology that they don't have because we're able our planet is abundant in uranium right well their planet could be abundant in element 115 where based on the the physical characteristics of where the supernova happened however many billions of years ago to form our star you know our the way our star formed and we have uranium we have an abundance of it right there was a um we'll get back to bob lazar in a second but i want to tell you this 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 story this is fucking weird so commander fravor came out and he ended up saying that he had talked about this you know they they there's video footage the department of the navy released um, the footage online, you can go on and you can see it. And um, this lady gets a hold of him, right? And so he's been getting all these phone calls from these people because he's got his email address, whatever. And so most of the time, it's his wife's um, phone that goes goes off because he's his name is on the on the on the bill, you know. Mm-hmm. But his wife will get the phone call because of the number or whatever. So this lady calls him and is like, "Hi, is this?" commander is this commander fravor and he goes why what do you want you know and she's like well i've got this information and he deals with this all the time and he goes well what do you want and she's like well i've got some information that my father had but i've never told this to anyone ever before and he's like you're speaking to him and then she goes well my father was a part of a part of the cia or a government organization that monitored these these UFO extraterrestrial, right? And so she comes home one day, and her father receives this note from this gentleman, and on it is a longitude and latitude of a location and a, in a phenomena that happens. And so he looks at his daughter, and she goes, Dad, what's that? And then he crumples up. He he crumples up the note and he goes, "Oh, don't worry, we get these all the time." And on it was a longitude and latitude location for something. And then, then Commander Fravor goes, "Do you have the longitude and latitude?" And she goes, "No, I don't." But it was the occurrence that she had of being in, like, listening to the conversation between her father and this gentleman talking about this UFO phenomena because she was so scared not not scared but she just didn't she was a i find that a lot of guys that are like in the marines a lot of guys that spend time overseas that don't need to tout 
mm-hmm. what they do are more reputable. You know, look at me, look at me. I'm doing, you know, are usually more reputable. And this sounded like a person that had that reputability. Yeah. Like, that, why would she? Why would she? Yeah. Be saying that. And so Commander Fravor also had a guy who talked to him where he was his friend or someone was out in the ocean. And they say that these objects come out of the ocean, but also vanish in in certain Dis- over the horizon or whatever you know but there was this there was this recovery operation that was going on and there was a ship right so the guy is diving and they're trying to recover this torpedo and they see this object in the water in the distance and it comes up and then vanishes again and then they're like okay what the fuck well they continue the salvage operation and Have then you seen out- the movie the abyss I, i've seen a little bit of it oh yeah. it's very similar yeah, yeah so then similar. well then what happens is this object comes out from under the water. This happened back in the 90s, I think. Steals the torpedo and then just submerges again and then scares the shit out of the guy. But the thing is, is that, you know, Joe Rogan made a good point. What the fuck do you do with this information? How the hell do you... How the hell do you report that? You know, right. like if we go and we take a geese out of a lake, you know, and we fucking perform all... We, we drug them, perform all these tests. Oh, we're just tagging this goose, you know? How the fuck does that goose go back and tell all of his fucking friends about right. what the fuck just happened? Well, you know? I mean, I think that that's kind of interesting with what Bob was saying, too, is like they want you to look crazy. If you're out there saying, oh, I saw an alien. Oh, man, you're nuts. Yeah. You know, and that's the public perception. Nobody's open to those stories or anything like that. Um, you know, and probably because they haven't seen them themselves, you know. Yeah. But funny i just randomly i helped out somebody at work the other day and they were like i said i didn't say anything about ufos or aliens or anything like that but i had mentioned the fact that i was into space like just space in general um and he started going off on the fact that he was like i he goes do you believe in aliens and i said i believe that there's likely life out there in the universe, right? Whether or not it's intelligent or not, who knows? Um, But certainly there's a possibility of that. And that's like obviously diving into the whole Bob Lazar story. It's like if you believe him, then yeah, it's wicked intelligent out there. Um, But he was like, I've seen UFOs after he said that. He's like, I've seen them twice in my life yeah. and then he was like have you ever seen a ufo i'm like no no unfortunately not but he was telling me his story about seeing him one in new hampshire even yeah. right one upstate well, in new are hampshire. you familiar with the um so about to go down a rabbit hole here oh, i want to no. i want to get back i want to get back to um bob lazar here in a sec but he he spoke about where these potential extraterrestrials were from was the const- the constellation of Zeta Reticuli, right? And this is 1989 when he said this. Are you familiar with the Betty Betty and Barney Hill abduction story here that took place in New Hampshire? No. Betty and Barney Hill were abducted back in the 1960s up in Franconia, New Hampshire, right? 
So you know Cannon Mountain? Yep. Cannon Mountain, they say, had a... I've climbed Cannon Mountain myself, and I've been up there at 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, after I had fucking just seen this, like, I had just read this thing, and I'm like, oh, shit, I'm up here with my friend Jared. I'm like, man, this is where fucking supposed aliens were. I was like, what the fuck, man? At 1 in the morning? Yeah. Yeah. And so you're looking down, you know, you're looking down at the valley, and you would be able... I realized that if it was back in the 1960s, you can see those lights for fucking miles i could see in the distance cars coming that were miles out right Mm -hmm. i'm sitting here thinking to myself like what the fuck back in i think it was actually i think it was the 50s they were abducted betty and barty hill um barney was an african-american man and betty was a um she was caucasian and so a lot of people were trying to debunk their story what had happened is late at night, it's about like midnight or so, one o'clock in the morning, and they start seeing these lights over by Cannon Mountain. Some skeptics have said, oh, they were, there was the weather observatory. They were stressed out about being an interracial couple and, and all these different things back in the civil rights movement, all this kind of shit. That road wasn't actually paved back in those days from what I believe. It was just a dirt road going through Franconia Notch. And so they're heading back down from Canada. And they couldn't account for a large amount of time that had vanished. This is up in, it's fucking so cool. It's up in Franconia, New Hampshire, right? Now, Mm -hmm. they just woke up in their car. And what happened after that was they couldn't really remember what had happened. They remember a set of lights coming after them. And the last thing Barney says is, they get out of their car and they look up and they see these lights coming after them. And he tells Betty to get in They're Hey, they're coming after us. And so he drives as fast as he can. Doesn't remember anything, but he displayed all the levels of post-traumatic stress that would happen after an event, right? Of being supposedly abducted by aliens. Mm-hmm. Right. So he had like, there was severe, severe post-traumatic yeah. stress between the two Physical of them. Physical signs. And her dress, her dress was actually ripped after the event had happened. So they went and... Oh, what so, those aliens so, yeah, do to Yeah, her. dude. So what... So, you know, I'm not trying to like, you know, I'm, not, I'm trying to... <laughs> what the heck, fucking having fun with her? No, trying to do a porno, you know? No. Yeah. Um, so what they did afterwards was they, they tried to go through some of the hypnotic... Like they tried to use hypnosis as a way to recall those memories and so they actually recorded this and barney was very hesitant about actually doing it but and it's also kind of weird because betty in the later stages of her life started like writing some really weird shit like what the fuck this lady seems kind of like what the fuck are you writing like it seems as if almost she was kind of like decrediting herself because of some of the shit that she was writing she became yeah she became a celebrity in the ufo world you start reading some of the stuff that she's like this person was like, this doesn't seem like a person that would be deemed credible back in the day, you mm. know? So maybe she kind of went off the rails a little bit in, in her later years of her life. But what happened was is when they went through the hypnosis, they said that they were driving and these beings were in front of them. Now imagine this being very dark up there and seeing these things in front of you and just driving in New Hampshire and just driving off the side of the fucking road. Can you imagine how fucking scary that would be? Seeing these things that you don't recognize being in front of you. So they, I've been up there driving on those roads, hiking, 
holy fucking shit, I would be scared as fuck if mm-hmm. something was in front of me and just veers me off to the side of the road and comes up and knocks on the window and tells me to get out, right? And so they interacted with them and- They said they, that they told them to get out, like it in was, English? It was No, it just, they they were- it was like a dream how you can't necessarily really, you have the information already inside of your head, but you just can't articulate how you obtained that information. Mm. You're just in the situation. And that's the way that they described it. They just were there and they knew what to do. They just couldn't figure it out. So when they interacted with, with Barney, he was scared shitless when he's revisiting these supposed you know, memories. allegation, allegate, allegatory mm-hmm. memories that he had. And Betty afterwards, um, she was given a map of one of these accounts and they drew, she was trying to interact with them. And one of the head supposed members of this craft ended up saying to her, Hey, you can take this book. Like it was, it was a friendly one. He said, Oh, Hey, you can have that. You know, hey, thank you for kind of like, thank you for letting us perform experiments on. And they ended up inserting something into her vagina. They did all sorts of things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. They did all this is. So that's what she said. You know, they they did all sorts of things to kind of like what we would do on, on another animal, I guess you could say, studying them or whatever. And when she said that she felt an immense amount of pain, all they did was they just waved their hand in front of her face and then the pain just went away. Kind of like it was if like you're inducing yourself with morphine or something. Turn know? off pain receptors yeah. or something. Like so she's getting ready to leave the craft and then one of the aliens, one of the other head honchos comes over and says, what? You're giving her a fucking map. You're not supposed to do that. And she was able to recreate the map of where they said that they were from. And she said they were from Zeta Reticuli, hmm. which Going is the exact time. same thing that Bob Lazar said where they were from. Hmm. And this was back in the 60s. And she said that they were from Zeta Reticuli. And then Bob Lazar also says that I don't know how the hell they came in contact with that information, but that's where they said that they were from. Hmm. Is that there's a star five or six light years from Earth that orbits this binary star system. It's two, it's two, two stars, essentially. And they all, <clears throat> they've been here for however many years. And she interacted with them. And yeah, most of the stars that you see in the sky, most of them are binary star systems. Um, And they have proven that binary star systems can have planets like Mm. um, orbiting them, but it's trickier. And uh, certainly I think the habitable zone would be different and i think like binary stars make it less likely to have life on them too not saying that it would be impossible but probably less likely too you Mm -hmm. know so it's tough um but anytime we think about aliens and uh if they're giving us latitude and longitude uh, i mean latitude and longitude is a human created like we pick you know there's no set oh here's zero latitude longitude or whatever it's like our discretion Mm -hmm. right like what is it the prime meridian runs through is it greenwich or something Something like that that, yeah um you know an alien species isn't gonna know 
<laughs> where to start no. latitude and no. longitude or it's anything It's like those like people that, that so. used to say, aliens are making crop circles. And then this, these guys just trolling a bunch of people. They're like, hey, let's yeah. go make some crop circles. So, I mean, I'm hesitant know. with some of those stories and everything. I think they're good stories, but... But like, what was interesting, well, what, again, I'm very skeptical. The only thing, honestly, the only thing that kind of, again, in the later, if you go look at the later stages of her life, hmm. you'd be able to read some of the stuff that she was coming up with. And you're like, what the, f-? it's kind of so like, the other thing, cause, cause see, I need, a, I need, a, I need an, obje- like, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to talk about, mm-hmm. but it's one thing to, to talk about it. And it's another thing to believe it. Yeah. You know, and, and it, going just, back I, to the discrediting and things yeah. like that, you were saying almost like she's. She's off the off her rocker yeah, later, in, later in her life, and that can happen. That's probably going to happen to a lot of people. A lot of me, people. maybe yeah. when I'm older. But uh, you know, she I was think using that, her celebrity status, like her UFO story, as a way to promote her celebrity status. Which, remember, when I was saying, I don't know if I believe people that tout that. But is there such a thing as like they, the government wants people to appear? As crazy. That, it's a counter-intel campaign. Yeah, that yeah. say that they've experienced something along those lines. Like, hey, don't worry about it. This person's just off their rocker. They're nuts type deal. So, I mean, that's not out of the realm of possibility either. Um, so, and some people, okay, here's another government, like, interference thing, right? All the movies, like, all these, like, sci-fi movies that we get to see, is that a way of softening the blow when we... When they say, oh, yeah, hey, there is extraterrestrials out there or something along those lines. Is that like a way to kind of get us to cope with it? Oh, you know, we've seen so many movies, so many things about artificial intelligence or extraterrestrials or space and all of that stuff that it's like kind of acclimating us to the realm of possibility for that to be in existence. It's like, oh, that's kind of interesting. To think because about it, too. it would be one of the biggest smear and counter intel campaigns that we have. Dude, I got to pee real bad. Let's continue yeah, this. Go here. for it. We'll talk about it. All right. Yeah. So we're back. Um, as I was saying before about the counter intel campaigns that the government, which I don't even governments, potentially run in order to deter us from believing in the idea of what we would say extraterrestrials what are your some what are some of your initial thoughts on the idea of the way the well i mean propaganda right i mean like the government interferes with news and what we're allowed to know right even the fact that the government has better technology than what we have you know that's Mm. that's proven so, I mean, do they hide stuff from us? Absolutely. Did I um did I tell you about the CIA project that went on when uh, they were lifting a, a Russian submarine? Yeah, back in the seventies. Yeah, you were telling me the about 70s, that. Yeah, the amount of the amount of um, deflecting that the CIA went through in order to lift this Russian submarine. Very, very, very interesting. Um, you can go on Google and basically all you type in is, you know, CIA lifts Russian submarine. But there was an explosion that had happened back in the 1960s. And the CIA had to, they gained this intelligence that there was a Russian submarine settling on the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. Because we had implement, we had thrown a bunch of microphones, you know, monitoring different movements and stuff like that in the Pacific Ocean. And 
they had the idea that this explosion was a Russian submarine. So they were able to triangulate its location. They're like, yep, there's a Russian submarine on the bottom of the floor there. But the Russian Navy wasn't able to find the submarine, but the U.S. knew where it was within this six-mile radius. So they found it. And in order to gain the intelligence that they needed from that submarine, the CIA had, dude, it is insane at what these people had to do in order to just get this, get the approval, but also kind of falsify some of the information from Congress. So how much, why do you need this much money? Or hey, we're, we're, this is an investment when it actually wasn't an investment. There was a guy that used his name to say, oh, this project is being funded by this individual. Don't worry, Congress, we're, 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 we're monitoring the funds appropriately. But the CIA went through a bunch of different hoops so that they could gain the, the intelligence that they needed. And I sit here and I think to myself, I'm like, if they're willing to go to just these lengths and they release this information, un- they unclassify it, you know, you think of if they're going to handle something as classified as what someone such as Bob Lazar has gone through, what are the lengths that they're willing to yeah, I mean, since his whole resurgence, I really think that like going back on to going on to Joe Rogan's podcast was like almost making the whole Bob Lazar story fresh again, mm-hmm. you know. But since then, he had been raided by the FBI again. Yeah, you know, and they were trying to investigate him again. Well, that so, was Jeremy Jeremy Corbell interviewing him. Oh yeah, there was off. a Netflix special, right, yeah, or yeah. something too. Yeah, yeah. which is um, you you know my opinion. I know, on that. I know. yeah, you know my not opinion. the biggest fan of not him, the, but that's the, okay. Yeah, um, but I mean, there's got to well, be. I'm a, something I'm a fan. There. I'm a fan of Jeremy Corbell. I'm a fan of Jeremy. I'm not a fan of his artistic expression of the documentary. I like him as a person. I yeah. think he he did a lot to the, even give us the reason why we're having this conversation. I think he's played a big part in that. Yeah, but Jeremy Corbell is the journalist who man anyone that yeah. listens to this conversation yeah. is gonna think these two guys are the fuck are these out guys of their heads, about? you know? Yeah. No, but that's okay. Yeah. I think like one of the big things to take away is just to like be open to the possibility, mm-hmm. right? Like I think that's the best you can do. I mean, is there? I don't know. Is there extraterrestrials or you know alien technology or anything like that? I don't know, but. I'm open to the possibility that there could be. And mm. that's like something that's kind of neat to think about. Do you think, how do you think the government does handle it? Handle what? That technology? Well, well I would how, think, how do, I would think that it would be much along you're, the you're, lines you're, of, you're a government, you're a government, you're, you're working for yeah. the CIA. Let's, let's say this. All right. Let you're working for the CIA or you're working for the government, right? Yeah. You have a certain clearance level. It's the eighteen. It's the nineteen forties, nineteen fifties, nineteen forty eight, nineteen forty seven, and all of a sudden you hear, "Oh my God!" There's this spacecraft. You're from do it from their perspective. There's yeah. a spacecraft that crashes in Roswell, New Mexico, and you say, "Hang on, this is something we've never encountered before. How do we handle this?" You have to create new protocols for security clearance, right? You have to not let the world know that you have this technology because now other people are going to want to get their hands on it. Yeah, you don't want to let other governments. So how it. do you, so how yeah. do you, how do you much the same, yeah. much the same. So that, how, it's like, it's like, how and do that's you what I was going to say is like Bob yeah. Lazar was saying too. No one person gets to see everything, right? He just is saying that all he got to work on was propulsion technology 
somebody else gets to, mm. you know, work on the craft design or somebody else gets to work yeah, on like the metallurgy. Yeah. The, um, there was all different forms of. Right. Technology. And he said it, it was really difficult to, to work that way from because like it, a scientific it goes, it, yeah, standpoint, goes, because you can't collaborate your information with one another. You know, you have one partner that works with you on the same thing. So who gets all the information, right? So that's kind of interesting to think about, yeah. too, is like how much information would yeah, there be out there? Because you said it goes against the ideas of science is like you bounce ideas off of one another. And there's like a, like you said, a, a collaborative effort to be, hey, this is what we found out today. But in order when you come up with the discovery, you have to vet it through the security personnel that are right there kind of like as your handler. Right. You know, and then it, it defies all ideas of what we would deem as science. And that's where they kind of are. What was confusing to him is because they're stalling them. They're they kind, kind of, of handcuffed themselves. Yeah. They're shooting right. themselves in the foot is that security is the issue. But they're also working on this type of stuff. And we even saw the same thing in when they killed Osama bin Laden. They were using aircraft that had never been used before. You know, they, they took a bunch of um, helicopters that they had designed and they used it in the raid. They said, yeah, we, we, uh, the guy walks into the hangar in that movie. I think it was zero dark 30. And he says, yeah, shut this program about, shut this program down about five or six years ago. And it was a helicopters that were, signatures that had very low radar signatures mm. and also they were stealthy yeah right? experimental experimental rotor blades that that minimized sound output so that they could land and then guess what one of the helos crashed and we were able to literally see the technology right then and there when we killed osama bin Laden because mm -hmm. the helo design was something that we had never had never seen before you literally go google mm. the fucking pictures and you'll see the outline of a helo that we don't we don't typically use yeah you know and so you figure that that's at that just that is at area 51 and you know they're willing to disclose that information you know and to think about how it would just be nice to be able to yeah, to have find access out. wouldn't it be nice yeah to just the, see what, what's I mean, out there in all reality though like i've been in the military and even commander fravor says this you know he's like there's a reason why they don't tell people and it's like i get it like i understand why but someone somewhere has do you the think yeah, do you think know. do you think that someone in someone knows everything because Jeremy Corbell talks about back in 2001 he calls it the Wilson memo or something like that where short summary there was a a admiral who wanted access to this special projects these special projects as a defense contractor right so what in normal, typical fashion, what's supposed to take place in the military is that you're supposed to go to your chain of command and be like, hey. You realize we're about to lose all this information again. Yeah, when, I hope Now not. that we're diving into I know, this I hope not. rabbit hole. Yeah. No, I hope not. Okay. But so to summarize, going. yeah, to summarize, oh, my computer's about to crash yep. again. But to summarize what the Wilson memo said was that Admiral Wilson, I don't know his first name. Um, it was all the way back in 2001. But he engages in a conversation with a scientist that works at either EENG or has access to these special programs. And he went to private industry instead of going through his chain of command, like what would be typical of the military that even though he's an admiral, he's supposed to go to the person above him and say, hey, I want access to this program. I should be running this program. You know, why are you allowed access to this as a scientist? I should be the one being your handler essentially for this program. 
and in engaging in the conversation with the scientist, he's denied access mm. because he goes to private industry, essentially over, he goes over his chain of command and tries to this talk to this. like tries, Illuminati shit, you yeah, know? Well, tries to talk to this scientist in private industry and says, hey, why are you allowed access and I'm not? And mm-hmm. then as he tries to get the clearance to run this program is denied. So if there are a group of people out there that have access to all the findings, like all those scientific discoveries and things like that, and they have access to the best technology that's out there, you know, yeah, that's kind of scary to think about too, right? Like, because in Bob Lazar, his handler was called, when he released his name to the media, he said, oh, my name's Dennis. Yeah. Which was the guy that was actually his handler working at S4. And so he says, you know, yeah, my name's Dennis. And he he does the whole whistleblowing thing. And what Dennis did is gives him a call after he released his name to the media and says, do you have any idea what we're going to do to you now? And hangs up. And that was the last time Bob had ever spoke to him. And he actually had his life almost, he was almost taken out taken out by this individual that he doesn't know he was on a freeway and he was exiting this he was going to this um this kind of what was it this the, the freeway where he's turning off you know and all of a sudden he he, he had an idea that he was going to die because he had some and he's kind of like i didn't really give a fuck because at this point in his life he had he was going through some trouble you know, with all these different businesses and his wife, you know, just personal problems and stuff. And he's kind of like, well, it's going to, it's going to come. Fuck it type stuff. Right. Gets, um, I don't say steered. He gets forced off this freeway exit and he heard, he had like someone shot at him as he was driving. And then all of a sudden he crashes his car and he gets out and he's like, well, this is it. And then it didn't come. The car vanished and mm. drove away. And then there was an attempt on his life or what he thought was an attempt on his life. But there's, again, there's no way to, hmm. to Scare take, yeah, there's no way to take, there's no way to take his word for it, you know, because I, I, I don't know whatever they did to him, but it, um, that was kind of like an account. Is that the lengths that they're willing to go to cover up this information? But the bigger thing is, is well, the bigger question that I have is why are they willing to go to, what is the purpose of going to such lengths to, to not, not ready to release the information, yeah. you know, you know, why are they going? Why, why though? Like, what are the, what are the, what are the prerequisites? Because some people have done interviews where they say like they've done um, a lot of like cattle mutilations and stuff like that as a, as a, as a way to debunk. They say, well, what the fuck? Why are aliens coming down and fucking mutilate? They said, Oh no, that was a, that was a, we did that. Humans did that. That was a, that was a, a counter intel campaign to dispel all the information that people had been seeing about aliens to take heat off of this area. So let's say they're doing a certain they're doing some testing over the mountains in this area over here. Hey, let's put a fucking cattle mutilations over here so the media focuses on this so the people will pay attention over here rather than where we're going over here to Slide conduct these hand. tests. Type yeah. yeah. Um yeah. I mean, I think that it's a means of control, mm. right? Like, and I and isn't that what government is really? Yeah, is like how to control the people. Religion too, yeah. kind of same deal. Helps keep people 
in line. We need to be. We need to be controlled. Yeah. So, I mean, if the, if it was released out there that it's like, oh, yeah, there's better technology or alien life forms or things like that, do they lose a level of control over the general population? Because I Possibly. think that that's essentially the ultimate the I mean, ultimate, going back to the ultimate question, I think that they've, if they were to conduct some studies, you know, with some of the most brilliant minds who have access to these programs where they have conducted studies to be like, this, this would be complete anarchy. Yeah. You well, know? what if, and then, so if everyone knew about it, right, there's however many, how many millions of people in the U.S.? Mm. I don't know. But 300, it, like 300 plus, yeah, 300 like plus million. So if everyone started demanding it. And saying, release it, let us know, you know, and they were forceful about it. That's that whole like storm area 51, right? Which obviously was cockamamie, but you know, you think about it, what would happen if the whole general population were to demand the information, right? It's like, what would they do about it? That would be tough because again, I don't even think they know because what happened with Bob, with Bob Lazar is they did that land grab. After he ended up releasing the information and where he was actually overlooking from the places where he was able to see the aircraft conducting testing, late yeah. night testing on Wednesdays when the traffic was the least, the least amount of traffic flow was happening on Wednesday nights. You know, he's like, yeah, we got a little careless and we took a fucking camper out there, you know, and he's deeming it as a joke. They, I don't, I think that that was them for the first time where they realized they were like, oh shit, like, hey, maybe we should take this a little bit more seriously and then they bought up all that land where he was actually able to. So they basically expanded Area 51 after 1989. I think it happened in like literally the like within six months after he ended up being a whistleblower. They they grabbed all this land. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the other thing too is right. If everyone were to start demanding the technology, that goes hand in hand with that segregation of the knowledge too. Mm. Right? Is it's like. No one person could tell you, well, they're not going to let you know who knows all the information, but no one person could release enough information for it to make sense to anybody, you know, Yeah. Um, in the government too. It would just be like, oh, well, this is all I know. Yeah. And, because- and that maybe that's the truth, but then somebody else may have another piece to the puzzle. Yeah. You know? Because a lot of the stuff that you hear... Um, Sorry, I was just losing my. I think one of the biggest things is also the. Maybe maybe it isn't so much the problem of like the idea of knowing. Maybe the maybe the problem is the idea, like you said, the technology. Because what happens if like let's say like fucking ISIS gets a hold of like a machine that could fucking alter time, that can alter gravity. You know, and they're or, in their fucking Aluakbar, you know, fucking, super fast travel yeah, or they're putting fucking Yeah, they're putting fucking IEDs on UFOs, you know, and fucking targeting Washington oh, and shit, you know. Yeah. Fucking. That's one thing you know? we got to get over is like, yeah. man, the violence, you know, yeah. like there's way too much violence out here. I, I feel like that's still um, like a recourse that we have to solve problems is that we turn to violent means, mm-hmm. you know. Um, because that's, and that's one of unfortunate. The, that's really that's one of the. That key. may be the big roadblock right there. Before you release better technology, it's like maybe we got to get more um, a better handle on how to resolve problems versus like 
the stuff going on in Iran and them saying, oh, you know, this nuclear treaty, mm-hmm. we're going to forget that. We're going to start studying that again. And I mean, it's like, that's all scary stuff. It's but, very, it's, in it, it, it all has to tie into going back to like the idea of chaos theory is that if this, if this asteroid that fucking destroyed the dinosaurs 65 million years ago, you know, if that didn't had happened, would we still be, would we still be being visited today? Potentially again, I'm, I'm like saying is it if fucking aliens, if we're being visited, if they are visiting us and they, they express an interest in who we are as people, would they still potentially, maybe they're like, Hey, these people have the potential for technology. We want to see how they adapt and also evolve over an amount of time, mm. right? And and I think that in order for them to master the idea of interstellar travel, that if a being comes to us, the way we portray it from our our kind of experience in nature is that we paint a picture that the aliens are coming as a hostile force, as if they're here to invade. Immediately, we paint them as a hostile force. But if you think about it, well, it's a threat. If yeah, they're visiting yeah. us, they have better tech than us. Yeah, and so, so. The, the way that they paint a picture in science fiction is that they're always an, an invading force here for Earth's natural resources. But the thing is, is that the natural resources that are on Earth, the only thing that would be natural is something that's organic. You could still find all of the other resources on, on other planets. Mm-hmm. So why would they come here and eradicate a species that has the potential to both help? And provide some form of, of aid to them in in a way in which, yeah, it, it I mean, just you it can doesn't get the it same doesn't resources everywhere. Yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't really make much sense because if we were to find an asteroid in the asteroid belt that has platinum that's platinum rich, it would be more platinum that we've ever mined on Earth. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it would it would essentially bring down the value of computers and all sorts of stuff. So there's there's the possibility in the future where we actually have mining operations the asteroid belt. Where it would completely, you would go out and buy a fucking twenty-four karat diamond for two dollars. Mm. You know, twenty-four karat gold, you know, or gold, not gold diamond, a twenty-four karat gold ring for like fifty cents. So you know? eventually, if technology became advanced enough, basically what you're saying though would be currency yeah. starts to lose its meaning. Yeah, and then if also everyone has the, the social available to those resources, and we can just use them willy-nilly then, you know, it kind of loses its meaning, its need for currency. And going back to that show, the Orville, right? Hmm. They have technology on that show, which obviously it's super sci-fi and all that stuff. But they can just say, oh, I want a cup of coffee. Poof. You know, essentially Hmm. it's like, here you go. Um, That would be neat if we could do something like that someday. But also the hurdles you'd have to evolve in a social sense is if you're going to be doing conducting interstellar travel, does it make sense to do it from a biological standpoint? Is no. that the requirements that we have are astronomical? You know, mm. we need X amount of, you know, we need sleep, and it's so damaging to the human body. You know that if if we did have some bio, let's say biologically we did develop the technology to travel mm-hmm. and, and do whatever with our 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 physical characteristics that we were able to overcome, we're also able to overcome social hurdles as well is that if we're going to another world where we can all agree on this this one specific point i don't think that it would be where 
we're going to come hostile to a place, you know, mm -hmm. like I think yeah, that if I agree. Something, like, I, I love if, what you were saying yeah. about the resources, right? Because I guess I never really thought about it that way. Like why would some, why would a advanced alien civilization study earth or visit earth? And you're saying, Hey, it's not for the resources. I never really thought about that. But one of the things that they say is, and this is fascinating about our universe is that the stuff that makes us up, is uniform throughout the universe mm -hmm. you know that yeah. the same elements that we find in our solar system are very similar or exactly the same as what's scattered throughout our galaxy and through other galaxies too in differing proportions and whatnot but it's the same stuff everywhere yeah, like if you if you look at a snake right and the way the snake evolved to have venom you know and you come down to earth and you're from a planet that Let's say you're you're from like a bird planet, or you're from a, a a life a life form that we can't replicate on on our on our you know maybe their life form. Most is, likely, is it's something nine, we haven't thought about. Yeah, yeah. the design, the the nature's nature's design that we haven't seen. Yeah, that we haven't seen yet. You know, maybe their gravity is is three times as much as ours, so their structure they're going to be a lot shorter. Or they're going to be a lot bigger, based denser. on denser. Yeah, a lot denser, based on these different things. Maybe they're on a water planet. And they need water to fucking exist. And they found a way to, to do that through whatever, whatever, you know. But regardless, you know, like you said, you know, coming here, I think they – let's say they, they did come here. And they look at this this snake that fucking spits venom out of its mouth. And you're like, what the fuck is this? Like this – like – and we still even find that in our own planet, our own nature. Yeah, we still like, haven't found yeah, all the species. Where we, we even though we're like, killing off yeah, plenty I know. of them. But, you yeah, know. but we find things that are like, man, damn, nature, you scary. You know, like you look at – imagine the first person that saw like a fucking iguana or like a Galapagos tortoise where you were like, what the fuck is this thing? Yeah, right? or uh, you know? um, Komodo dragon. Yeah, right. yeah, like a fucking Komodo dragon. You come down or like – emperor penguins down in antarctica like we come down and, and we are fascinated just on our own planet with yeah. the things that we see so, so that's imagine like in, that, in, 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 in an extraterrestrial thing comes in, what the fuck are these things you know yeah it's neat that to think that their motivation for visiting would most likely be purely just to study yeah to see what the heck are these why is this one creature walking on two legs with no fur yeah. you know it's like those are weird and oh they like kind of have taken over this place or whatever yeah. right i mean like we're an interesting place how does this person speak this one language yeah and how does this other person do this and how can they still cohabitate even though they so hang on let me get this straight one person speaks one language in the same country that's so confusing that's that we all universally speak the same language as aliens how the fuck do they how the fuck do they communicate well eventually then, you know eventually we that's kind of like right world currency world language eventually it has to trend that way the world's a smaller place every year because of modern technology so eventually a world government or a world techno or a world uh, currency right um has to come into play yeah. at some point and then the they're like what are these blocks these guys keep looking at how the hell can they communicate through this block you know and then they realize they're like oh they're using they're using radio signals oh okay that's what they're using oh we've perfected that technology we did that fucking thousands of years ago they're on the right path though you know and yeah it would be fascinating yeah. for them yeah yeah that's cool that's a fun thought it is an interesting thought to think about that i always i i always thought that when it came to like science fiction that they're coming here to kill us and i was like why would they do that 
I was like that mm. that defies all sense of logic is is it's as if when we came here you know when we were destroying the native americans stephen hawking once said oh well they're coming here it wouldn't be so well for the native americans i'm like yeah stephen hawking i i understand that but we're talking about people that are more that are more evolved than us is that if we were to take that same approach today where with the north sentinelese or people that were uncontacted with we say hey just let them be we don't want to we don't want to actually integrate with them because if we do they're not immune to our diseases and we're going to, we're going to kill them off. And we learned that through the Americans. That's why, you know, there was millions of Buffalo roaming across America is because when the Spanish came through, there was millions of native Americans. There was millions of Incas, Aztecs, smallpox wiped out 90% of them. And the Buffalo's natural predator was humans. And so over hundreds of years, they just fucking replicated. And so then that's why when the first pioneers came through, they're oh, wow, look at all these millions of Buffaloes. Like, yeah, because you fucking killed millions of Native Americans. They, they weren't able to, they didn't have Hunt. that balance of, of the population. So the, the buffalo population skyrocketed, you know. And we look at how fragile like an ecosystem can be just with, with one life form, you know, being extinct or extirpated, you know, whatever you whatever term you want to use, mm. you know. So when they come here, they're like, oh, man, let's, let's fucking abduct these two fucking people up in new hampshire those people in new hampshire are worthless you know? yeah well you know i mean like uh definitely makes you think all the exploration and this you know the search for life in the universe and everything like that and i feel like the longer it goes without finding anything um the more it makes you really think wow we really gotta treasure what we got here yeah. going on yeah you know like uh certainly since uh i kind of rekindled a little bit of a passion for space i also have found myself really caring about more like the environment and what's going on on this planet because it's scary right yeah, like the, you know the pollution and uh detriment to the environment is like you really got to take care of this place because yeah. the closest this is we only the closest only, one only we got, could move out to we've only got one not planet. easy yeah, yeah. We've only got one planet you yeah. know and there was there was some people that said that that's why they were here during the cold war is that people say you know um you know they say uh like the world's you know times are so polarized right now i'm like i don't really i i don't i don't really think that I think that we were more polarized and we, we were more on the edge of fucking the brink, a mutual right? total destruction back in the back after World War II, the right. very cold trying War. times during the Cold War. I think that that was more apparent. Now, today, things are more diplomatic. Like the idea of war just seems so fucking primitive. Yeah. It just seems so stupid. Yeah, we you know, it just do seems it. so dumb. We still you know? do it. Yeah, they still do it. It just, it's more of like the idea of how we've evolved in the regard to, um, conflict mm. you know and i think that with nuclear weapons they some people have said that when we were launching weapons into space we never actually did launch nuclear explosions in, into above well, I, above above yeah. above a certain above a certain point no, we haven't done above that. because again skeptic skeptic or what is it just another story that one of these guys that was in the interview said that when we had attempted to do that this object appeared Mm. out of nowhere when we were actually trying to conduct these nuclear tests. I think there's tests. a treaty that yeah. prevents 
explosion or so you know some nuclear people said that that treaty yeah. was designed because Although, that's what they they wanted they said that they will not conduct because if that's if that's the case they hover above earth at a certain amount of altitude right mm-hmm. when they're actually conducting certain overwatch positions where these alien spacecraft are and so when we would shoot our nuclear weapons into space we wouldn't essentially the people that are conducting the test won't know about it but the people over here that are like oh hey aliens exist and all that kind of shit they said that when this object appeared out of nowhere and shot this like supposed laser here at this direction here at this direction and then all of a sudden the rocket explodes into it just mm. explodes into midair and then they recovered the nuclear device afterwards when they were potentially So we've launched to do nuclear that. devices into space but not what like so I've never heard of them doing a weapon but yeah. certainly some of the satellites have nuclear power on mm-hmm. them yeah. uh in Cassini right that mm-hmm. uh orbited Saturn for so many times uh which have you looked at pictures from Cassini mm-hmm. of Saturn? Oh my God! You want to see some? You're a photographer. Yeah, I know, right? Oh, yeah. you got to look at some of those pictures. They're amazing. Uh, Saturn's just such a picture. Oh, dude, it's a very planet. It's, it's a very, awesome. very photo esque. Um, but uh, you know, like the way that they got rid of Cassini when it completed its mission was to crash it into the planet and that's mm-hmm. a nuclear device that yeah. they crashed into the planet nothing stopped it no so i mean you know yeah we can i think put i nu- think it would from, nuke stuff you know nuclear stuff up there but i think that it would be it would be the destruction of our of ourselves like if you if you had the ability to monitor the native americans where they're at war and you say hey these two guys are going to launch you know these weapons that are going to wipe them out entirely you know, and it's going to render the planet and a bunch of innocent people are going to perish because of just some differing ideologies. Mm. You know, would you, what would you, if, if you were armed with, I'm just, I'm keeping this at the human level. If you were armed with the, armed with the knowledge that you were aware of what could potentially happen between these two people that, okay, Hey, these let, okay. What's the threshold for the amount of people that can, can die? Is it a hundred million? Is it 200 million? Is it is it 3 billion? What is the threshold where if you were armed with the knowledge that these people that are humans could potentially perish but have the capacity to have so much beauty and knowledge and art and all these things, would you intervene in order to save those lives? Or would you let it carry out and then they would just cease to yeah, exist? Yeah, you're saying like, why do they let... if there's if aliens, they were intervening, yeah. Like, why would they let us kill each other or some something like that? I mean, or why would why would they if if nuclear weapons was the issue, right? It's like, hey, all right, they're just conducting tests. This is a deterrent so that they won't use them. It's a, it's it's the necess, it's the it's the less of the necessary if evil. If they're here to study us, they're gonna he- be here to let things play out. Mm. You know, um, we don't intervene in ant colonies taking over one another or um, coral that jockeys with one another over a reef or something like that. Right. But how Same do you kind gauge, of deal. but how do you, but I mean, how do you gauge if you, if you I were think able to just let it play out, yeah. you know, you know what I mean? Like if you were able to see that it's like, Hey, these coral, fucking, these 
coral reefs are starting. You ever to build see that? You ever see how coral storm. takes over one another? Mm-mm. Oh, it's weird. There's like a it's it's a war. Yeah, coral. <laughs> you got to look that up. Yeah. That's kind of neat. Oh, they do like time lapse, and the coral kind of it. You know, it sends out this like feeler, basically stuff, like almost looks like mucus, mm. and there's like a battle that takes place and one inevitably ends up taking over the other. Interesting. Yeah. It's kind of weird to look at, but it's a fun, (laughs) like kind of correlation. Coral, coral, correlation. Correlation. To what you're saying is if humans are going to battle it out with one another, they're going to just let it happen. You know, if anything, the earth is like super populated anyway. It's like, you know, I don't know, but Well, I think it's been two hours and five minutes, Dave. I think that it's Perfect. getting. I think it's getting enough. I think we've talked enough about this for now. Um, is there any closing thoughts you want to say? Um, closing thoughts. Uh, I would just say, you know, take everything. With like, a, yeah, yeah. Don't don't take everything we've said. It's, it's a very it's, it's a very thought provoking right. mental exercise to run through. But you know, you know, keep your options open, yeah. right? It's like yeah. don't be objective, be, be rational. Don't be such you know. a skeptic. Be more open minded to things. Mm. And I would say that it goes true for everything. Be yeah. open minded for new thoughts, but new experience too, right? Yeah. One thing we feel like when we get older, we're more closed off to new experiences. Mm-hmm. No, go out, experience life. Yeah, go become do fortified something and- new. You know, they, they fortify themselves and their beliefs and they're, Oh no, that can't be that. Like, Mm -hmm. um, it's been a fun conversation. Yeah. Rogan was saying that is if you're a skeptic, he's like, it's kind of a lazy way of thinking. Yeah. Cause you just, you just, Oh, it's fucking swamp gas or it's this or that, you know, it's it's fucking, it was, it was was a weather balloon, you know, some, some shit. You just so easily to dismiss something when some things are a lot more complicated than what we want them to be. Mm -hmm. It's just, they don't want to devote the mental energy now if someone's fucking running around with a, a ghost costume on you know and they're like aliens are here to us all right well you know probably I think not, not so much the but. other thing too to think about right we're saying keep your thoughts open and be open to new ideas hmm. the more we discover the more we don't know right you know i yeah. i feel like there's more that we don't know than what we do know yeah you know so it, it's fun to think about fun to think about where the future is going to take us and um i'm excited to yeah. be honest i'm excited to see you know advance where yeah where technology brings us just from from a technology not only from a technological standpoint but from a, a sociological psychological aspect you know where where we're going you know it's with how much stuff we got going on today you know it's definitely it's it's very easy to not be bored you know there's a lot to be excited about essentially so you know just try not to try not to get too bored you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I like so, it. So, all right, Dave. It's good stuff. Thanks, man.